0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Intelligence for Life, the podcast. I'm Gib Gerard. Our guest this week is none other than Dylan Bynan. He is the founder of a company called Mindbloom. Now, what Mindbloom does uh, is a little bit uh, atypical, a little bit outside of the traditional, outside of the norm. They are a a therapeutic company that deals with psychedelics uh, surrounded with therapy. So, uh, in this episode, we are going to talk about the use of drugs specifically ketamine, uh, but from a therapeutic perspective. So if that's something that's difficult for you to talk about, for, difficult for you to hear about, uh, then maybe this episode is not one you want to listen to. But this is on the cutting edge of, of science and of psychotherapy and of treatment for depression, insomnia, all kinds of mental illness. Uh, and, and, and I would be remiss if I did not bring this interview to, uh, to you guys. So without further ado, here is my interview with Dylan. Beynon, Dylan Bynan, founder
1: founder of Mind Bloom. Uh, we're going to talk about what that means in a second here. Thank you so much for being a part of this show with us today. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Gib. Super fired up to chat with you today. So, Dylan, you're 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 doing something that I've been actually really interested in and reading a lot about personally. And I actually I, re- I want you to talk about what Mind Bloom is before I color it with what I want it to be. So, why don't you explain what Mind Bloom is and and why it's taking off so much right now?
2: Mind Bloom is a mental health and well-being brand uh, helping people achieve life-changing clinical and personal breakthroughs uh, through at-home psychedelic therapy.
1: Uh, okay. All right. So, right there, that's there there's there's that that last little line, at-home psychedelic therapy. Um what is that what does that mean in yeah, what is that? What is that?
2: Uh, so there are a variety of different psychedelic medicines and therapies. Uh, some of which a lot of people have heard about, some of which people aren't yet uh, sort of in the know on. Uh, Things like psilocybin or magic mushrooms, uh, LSD, MDMA, ketamine, ayahuasca are are some of the common ones people have heard of. Mm -hmm. And Today, there's some incredible um, biotechnology companies who are working really hard to bring a lot of these different medicines to market uh, because they are uh, showing more promise and better clinical outcomes uh, than all of the existing legacy treatment options, or a lot of the legacy treatment options for the mental health care crisis, which is the number one public health care crisis, sort of sans COVID, and COVID's making it a lot worse. Right. Right. Uh, to, today in the US, there is one prescribable psychedelic medicine that is available and is is increasingly prescribed uh, for depression, anxiety, sometimes OCD, PTSD. Uh, other ruminative thought disorders like eating disorders or social anxiety disorders uh, and that is ketamine mm.
0: and,
1: and how does ketamine how does ketamine uh, help with you know in conjunction with with therapy how does that how does that play out
2: yeah um so one way to, to think about it might be to sort of compare and contrast ketamine with some other psychedelic medicines that people are familiar with like psilocybin or magic mushrooms mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, So the classical psychedelics like psilocybin or LSD uh, work on your serotonin system, which regulates mood uh, amongst a lot of other things. Um, And when you do something like LSD or psilocybin uh, sort of phenomenologically or like what it feels like, uh, it enhances a lot of your senses to the point of distortion. So if you've ever seen any media that uh, portrays somebody going through a you know, psilocybin LSD experience, you see like, you know, hallucinations and bright colors and uh, wild thoughts. And, 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 and it also works on you know, what you hear and what you taste and things
0: mm-hmm. like that.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, ketamine is a little bit different, but also very similar <laughs> in that it actually works on your, uh, your glutamate system, which is the uh, largest and most prevalent neurotransmitter system in your brain. Ah uh, regulates uh, memory and learning amongst some other things. And whereas those serotonergenic substances I mentioned, like LSD and psilocybin cut off or uh, distort your senses, uh, ketamine tends to actually like cut off your senses. It's an antagonist so, like cut off cut off, cuts off the system. Um, when somebody is undergoing a ketamine therapy experience, uh, they're often taking a small, Sub-anesthetic dose from what people currently get when they're using ketamine as an anesthetic, which is what it was uh, previously and still widely used for. Um, so something like one fifth to one twentieth of what like a child receives in the emergency room if they go in and need to be put under. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at those low sub-anesthetic doses, it has these really pronounced psychedelic effects. Uh, we can bucket these psychedelic effects into sort of three categories. Is how we think about it. Uh, it's uh, emotional effects, cognitive effects, and neuroplastic effects. Uh, when someone's undergoing a ketamine therapy experience, uh, the emotional effects uh, are, 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 are sort of a multitudinous, but include things like feeling deeply connected to other people uh, and sort of helping people reestablish that feeling of connection to others in the world, a deep sense of gratitude, uh, deep senses and feelings of peace and contentment. Mm especially important for people who, you know, are clinically depressed or anxious and, um, you know, feel disconnected from others and, you know, from happiness. Uh, the cognitive effects uh, often can feel like a deep uh, senses and, and thoughts that generate like clear insights into ways that people want to make changes in their life or into ways of, you know, things that are holding them back. Uh, it gives people enhanced perspective uh, so you know, people sort of see uh, more clearly, like what's important, what's not, uh, and helps sort of drop the little things for them, uh, and gives people this deep sense of clarity, like they know exactly what they need to do. Uh,
1: does that last though, like beyond the treatment? Because that sounds great, and I and I know a lot of people can have those moments when they're taking drugs recreationally, um, but but how do you how does that convey? How does it turn into real life change or real? actual improvement in your neurochemistry over time.
2: Mm -hmm. Right. So that's the perfect question. So, uh, that third bucket that I mentioned, so there's three, there's emotional, cognitive and neuroplastic is neuroplasticity. So neuroplasticity is the brain's ability to change itself, uh, or to, to make changes. Uh, when somebody receives a ketamine therapy dose or a sub anesthetic dose of ketamine, uh, what One of the things that happens in the brain is that it secretes this hormone or this, sorry, this protein called BDNF. It's brain-derived neurotrophic factor.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: BDNF is like HGH for the brain. People call it uh, the fertilizer for the brain. Okay. When BDNF is secreted, uh, the brain enters this state of synaptogenesis or essentially a state where it's more easy for neurons or brain cells to make connections between each other. So as a result of this, uh, people are able to more easily like rewire their existing pathways in their brain. Uh, so this is really helpful for you know creating new behaviors for breaking bad habits that people are stuck in, uh, or breaking like ruminative thought disorders where people yeah. are going the same patterns over and over. So what's interesting about this is. Uh, a lot of people when they have a mental health and well-being issue, especially if it's a clinical one, mm-hmm. they all present as very similar things. They're ruminative disorders. So it's uh, pathways that are getting repeated over and over again in this positive feedback loop where it's actually oftentimes like carving channels in people's brains, right? Where they're they're just running these these loops. And that's depression, that's anxiety. Mm-hmm that's compulsive disorder, that's PTSD, that's alcohol use disorder, substance use disorder, you know, people who are addicted to smoking, um, you know, a lot of these different issues in their lives, clinically, even non-clinical, right? Um, And so if you just give somebody this neuroplastic agent, um, they are, their brain just tends to actually reassemble itself in a healthier way. And if you support people by helping them understand ahead of time how these things work, how to go through the experience, setting intentions on what they actually want to work on and what changes they want to make, maximizing the value of the experience because there's a skill set to sort of getting the most out of a psychedelic therapy experience or ketamine therapy experience, and then integrating the experience to actually create – to understand what happened and create changes, you dramatically accelerate and improve – uh, they'll put the likelihood and the speed at which someone's actually able to make changes in their life that'll show up as better behavioral patterns and also like better emotional patterns.
1: Okay, that that is a lot, a lot to unpack. So, it, I mean, if, if everything you're saying is true, and I'm assuming it's backed up by data as well as your own clinical practice, um that's that that is that's an amazing breakthrough for for people who are suffering from all the disorders that you've talked about and i think my question my first question is is this only really applicable to people with kind of severe versions of what you're talking about, or can kind of i mean i i maybe maybe I'm projecting myself into this too much, but i like I feel like a lot of people have ruminative uh thought patterns that that are that are detrimental to moving our lives forward. Um, I know I do. I think a lot of people do. If it's not something that's sort of debilitating, but just sort of, I don't want to call it normal or abnormal, but just more run of the mill, not to the point where you are uh, dysfunctional in your daily life, but where you're just not feeling 100%. Is this is this appropriate therapy for them? Or do you need, um, is this really just for the, the most deep sufferers? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I think there's a couple ways to sort of break down that question, a couple directions to go in. Uh, so one, if the question is like, do psychedelic medicines and do does ketamine therapy benefit people who don't have severe anxiety or depression or some other rheumative thought disorder? Uh, you know, the answer is yes. Um, there's a reason that it's very much in the in the zeitgeist saying like Silicon Valley to take, you know, microdoses of LSD to enhance lateral thinking, creativity, and improve mood, mm-hmm. even people who are, you know, not suffering from a clinical diagnosis of anxiety or depression or, you know, some sort of addiction. Um um, you know, I myself am a, a ketamine therapy patient. Uh, previously, not through Mind Bloom and then through Mind Bloom And part of creating Mindbloom is was creating the uh, ketamine therapy platform with leading clinicians and psychedelic researchers. That I wish existed for me, um, and I find it you know very transformative and helps me become both a better person for me, but also a better person for my friends, family, community, and the work I can do in the world. Just sort of encapsulate in mm-hmm. our mission at Mind Bloom to transform lives, to transform the world. Um, but on the clinical side, um, in today's medical construct, um, ketamine therapy can only be prescribed, uh, for people who have a diagnosis. Uh, it's currently not used as an elective treatment. So, you know, talk therapy, you don't need a clinical diagnosis to go and see a a licensed clinical social worker who will do talk therapy with you. Mm -hmm. Uh, But ketamine right now, uh, providers generally don't prescribe it as for elective. So, um, our providers in Mindbloom, um, and we have um, you know hundreds of providers uh, in the Mind Bloomiverse now, as, uh, as the largest provider of clinical psychedelic therapy in the world now. Um, they are prescribing for people who have anywhere from uh, you know light to call it moderate to severe symptoms of anxiety or depression, based on you know their medical expertise and uh, sort of accepted psychometric scales for anxiety and depression.
1: And how is this different? I mean, I understand that there, you're, you're talking, you're using words that are appropriate for making this seem more clinical, but how fun, fundamentally, how is this different from, you know, hippies in the sixties, uh, you know, uh, tune out, uh, uh drop out, uh, the, the Timothy Leary kind of stuff. How is this different from that?
2: Yeah, I think you, I think you look at a couple things. So first and foremost is like clinical research. Um, so ketamine was FDA approved in about I think 1970 as an anesthetic and analgesic, and about 20 years ago, researchers started discovering that uh, people who like came into the ER got a ketamine dose for something completely unrelated to depression, who had depression, were leaving without depression. <laughs> um, and so they started doing research. And now we have uh, more research on ketamine than all other psychedelic medicines combined, because it's the only one that hasn't been a Schedule One controlled substance. So it's mm-hmm. a lot easier. When you dig into the clinical research around both legacy treatments like Prozac, Soloft, Lexapro, um, and even talk therapy, you, you get like a pretty bleak picture. Um, so so I'll, give, I'll give you some stats here. Uh, Mental health care, as I mentioned, is largely considered sort of COVID notwithstanding the number one public health care crisis. And COVID is making it a lot worse. Mm -hmm. Depression is the number one cause of disability worldwide. Uh, Suicide is the second leading cause of death for people 18 to 35 and the fourth leading cause of death for people 35 to 55. We have skyrocketing amounts of addiction. And we've got like like 40, 45 million Americans, like one in eight Americans who are on antidepressant medications every single day. It's like massive numbers. It's crazy. When you look at these SSRIs, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. So the sort of first line treatment right now for depression, it's like Prozac, Lexapro, Zoloft. Mm -hmm. uh, You you see that like somewhere between doesn't really work and works sometimes. So a given antidepressant will work for 40 to 47% of people. They take six to eight weeks to work, which is brutal, especially if you don't know if it's going to work. Uh, over fifty percent of people have really severe side effects like weight gain, sexual dysfunction, insomnia, uh, ex- severe anxiety, suicidality, and because it's a daily medication, a lot of people don't want to get on it. It's hard to get off of it. It's
1: brutal. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I've, I've I've I know enough, and I've heard enough stories about how how awful it is, and uh, but. I think uh, too often we sort of say well it's the only it's the only option
2: right well it was it, it was one of the only options um and now we have ketamine therapy and, and the future other psychedelic medicines and uh clinical studies show that ketamine therapy if you just come into like a clinic and you get like a jab of it so essentially an iv infusion of it with no therapeutic container whatsoever so no help beforehand no talk therapy or coaching around it uh it has a clinically significant response rate for 65 to 70 percent of people Wow, 40 to 47 percent i mentioned for ssris it works right away um and it can be taken periodically and it is like a very very low side effect profile um and at Bloom by combining both coaching and um sort of therapeutic content so we have like a platform that's like headspace or calm over therapy. and we deliver to people this branded Uh, really beautiful like bloom box that has an eye mask and a journal and these other things that they use as part of our uh, therapeutic program. That's designed by the leaders in the field of psychedelic medicine and psychiatry. Uh, We're getting people a clinically significant result 80 to 90% of the time, less than 5% of clients have side effects versus over 50 for SSRIs and their light side of nausea and like grogginess. Um, And it works right away. So, so that's sorry, I'll, I'll let you go, but there's one other Sort of thing that I think makes it dramatically different from the counterculture movement in the 60s. And those are like the actual client stories that you hear. Mm. Talk to people who are using this who have suffered from anxiety or depression for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. We have 80 year old clients um, who, for the first time in their lives, are out of depression or anxiety. Uh, and able to like engage with the world and go back to work and get out of bed and um, you know start building their lives and you know feeling like they're not you know at the sort of the precipice of you know not being able to function. Uh,
1: uh, incredible. I mean, the, the the numbers you're talking about are are absolutely incredible and and um, it, it's actually not dissimilar from what I've heard about uh, all of these treatments from DMT to psilocybin lsd and of course ketamine because uh, I, I know most of the clinical stuff has been done with ketamine for the reasons you cited which is it's mm-hmm. the it's the least controlled and the only prescribable one of the ones i just mentioned but i've been hearing a lot of great things about it
2: um, it's the only prescribed one for now for now we're, we're, yeah
1: we're getting close to some others which is
2: wildly mm-hmm. exciting
1: i know i know washington and oregon are having some some movement on that stuff so uh it would be interesting to watch and see what happens there hey we're gonna take a quick break when we come back, I want to talk about uh, I want to talk to Dylan about what uh, what w- how Mind Bloom, uh does their therapy in association with with this with the ketamine treatment, how they find their providers, and of course how they protect themselves uh, and protect their clients from abuse so uh, take a quick break and come back and talk about those things <laughs> Dylan before we took a break, we were talking about the amazing uh i mean the, the amazing results you guys are having and again it's it's stuff that I've heard from you know, multiple sources, uh, not not necessarily in the numbers you're talking about, but just uh, how good this therapy is. Mostly I've heard ketamine with PTSD for soldiers returning from war, that it's mm-hmm. sort of experimented with it there. And they've seen really great. They combine it with some immersion therapy techniques where, you know, you do VR and, and other things to to relive some of the more traumatic moments. And I've, I've heard great things. Um, and we've been talking again, like you said, about Uh, how to apply this to the general population and the amazing results you're having. Uh, I I feel like I know with talk therapy, it's very provider specific. So I may have, I may have a great uh, rapport with, you know, therapist a not such a great one with B and my friend may love B and not like a, and we'll have a completely different experience based solely on the provider that I'm, that I'm dealing with. So my question to you, I guess, is: Hey, how do you how do you figure out who your providers are going to be for Mindbloom? How does this work remotely? And uh, you know, when when I feel like I feel like intention and therapy are such a big part of it. You know, how, how does that fit into this puzzle for you guys?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, on the providers, so our the model that our platform supports, uh, you work with two different types of providers throughout like a six session course of treatment. Uh, One is a psychiatric clinician, so a psychiatrist or psychiatric nurse practitioner. Uh, So this is a trained mental health care professional who can prescribe medication, um, and they oversee the medical care prescribing, making sure people get to the optimal therapeutic dose and making sure that they're safe throughout their journey. Uh, The second provider that our clients work with is a psychedelic guide is what we call them. Uh, So these are specialized coaches who are specifically trained in the psychedelic therapy modality. So these are people who have undergone experiences themselves. They know how to help people set intentions and prepare for psychedelic therapy experiences. Uh, They help people personalize their treatments, which include uh, personalizing the music that they listen to, which is actually a a pretty big component of each hour-long experience, uh, helping them um, customize and personalize the program. So depending on what comes up for people throughout the experience could be, you know, uh, grief, trauma, uh, you know, heartbreak or divorce, um, you know, career malaise, like all these inputs into people's mental health and well-being that's causing anxiety or depression. Mm -hmm. Uh, Their coaches are actually helping them, um, you know, understand what happened during the experience, make sense of it and create an action plan for how to integrate the experience and get actual, you know, realizable changes out of it. Um, and the coaches help people both through one-on-one sessions, also group sessions. So getting into a group and sharing about your psychedelic therapy experience and therapeutic journey, it can be really potent and powerful, and is evidence-based. Um, and then messaging through the you know the platform um, as people need support going through their journey. And
1: and and, and but, uh, th- that rapport though with the with the with the clinician is is, I mean, obviously you, you're getting the 90% result, your 85 to 90% result rate. So I, I, I got to imagine that the, the ketamine, the ketamine helps there too, but like, I, I, or, or do you just, do you have like a secret sauce or a way that you train your clinicians or that your clinicians approach that's different from the broader community? Because again, I feel like this, this is a very intimate experience you're describing.
2: Yeah. I mean, maybe one thing I should preface this entire conversation with is I'm not a clinician myself or doctor. Um, I'm a psychedelic medicine evangelist and true believer. I'm a ketamine therapy client, both pre-MindBloom and now at MindBloom, mm-hmm. um, and I'm a, a, a tech entrepreneur and healthcare entrepreneur. Um, so part of my journey is that over the past 13 years, psychedelic medicine has been incredibly uh, meaningful and important for me in my development as I've now built two other before MindBloom like, world-positive tech companies and local democracy and civil justice that were mm-hmm. acquired. You know, raise hundreds of millions of dollars and um, have been really successful. Um, And um, and so um, at Mindbloom, one of the things that we do is we build a lot of technology and software to help support a lot of these experiences so when it comes to, for instance, the matching of clients to the clinicians and especially the coaches, uh, we have a platform that helps take people's preferences and match them to the best coach possible for them. And we're getting smarter over time at learning you know what drives clinical outcomes for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and build a platform around it so you know levers like that are how to get people to the optimal therapeutic dose for them and getting better at predicting which dose will work better for what people uh how to match people to the right coaches uh, matching people to the right therapeutic content and programs we have multiple different programs people can select from to start the journey and then they change within the journey based on what comes up for them um um, so there's, so the technology component that's helping to, you know, uh, adapt the program and adapt who the coaches are and how they work with people. Um, and then just finding the best coaches on the planet and training them and creating like a wisdom of the crowds where they're all able to, through their community, up through mind bloom, you know, teach each other how to do it and surface best practices and mm. what's working and sort of distribute those learnings to everybody. And then we productize those learnings.
1: Um, so you, you okay? You just said a key word there. You, you productize those learnings. So your you, your prices are kind of are relatively low for for the healthcare space. Um, uh, uh my my question to you is, you're, you 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 kind of have to scale. Like you need a lot of people to decide that they want to do this because of all of. There's a lot of one-on-one stuff. There's a lot of. Um, how how are you avoiding people? you're, you're incentivized to let a lot of people do this. How are you avoiding people who just want to get the recreational ketamine, uh, getting involved in this and, and abusing your system?
2: Mm. Yeah. So your question is like, how do we maintain a high standard of care as a medical platform, uh, given like the inherent, you know, optics risks of ketamine therapy? And right. is there,
1: and the potential for abuse?
2: Yeah. So they kind of
1: be you're talking
2: about such called malingering. It's when people are have drug seeking behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a couple of things here. So one, um, so mind-blowing, we have like two strategic, you know, mandates or, or goals. Um, one is to radically increase access to the most effective psychedelic therapies and neurotechnologies available, today that's ketamine, by making them more approachable through a friendly consumer brand, affordable, and we've dropped the price of ketamine therapy like 80% from the average provider today, which is wildly expensive a couple years ago, um, and available, which we do through telemedicine. So we're currently available in about 16 states. We'll be in like 35, 40 states in the next 12 months. Uh, we're already today reaching like 65% of the US population and you know, want to reach as many people as we possibly can. Uh, and then the second strategic mandate is to increase access while also uh, building the world's most clinically effective and transformational experiences for people at scale. Um, and clinically effective includes safe. Right, right. <laughs> um, so there are, there are a couple ways to think about safety, actually I think is like the heart of your question. Um, one which a lot of people don't think about is like the inversion of safety, which is like, what happens if we don't provide this medicine to people? Um, so you look at these ex- astounding clinical outcomes for ketamine, like I mentioned, 80 to 90% of people on Mindbloom are having a meaningful clinical outcome, less than 5% are having side effects and they're real, very light compared to like SSRIs that work immediately. Um, when you look at the mental health care crisis, What you see is that people have been suffering from these ruminative thought disorders for years. Mm. And a lot of those ruminative thought disorders lead to, you know, call it the event horizon of uh, mental illness. Like it can lead to bipolar disorder, schizophrenia. Um, That's one of the big reasons I started Mind Bloom. I I grew up in a family that was annihilated by mental illness. Uh, A lot of family members have had it. Uh, My mother uh, was severely mentally ill succumb to schizophrenia, addiction, spent 15 years homeless before dying of a you know, methamphetamine and fentanyl overdose. Wow. Um, and one way to think about safety is you look at like, what happens if you don't get people an incredibly effective and relatively you know, and safe medication? Um, you can actually cause a lot of harm by um, not getting them access to it.
1: I, I, now, I think for like the extreme cases, that's the case. I mean, we kind of were talking about this before, but from, from a different angle. For the extreme cases, yes, obviously intervention, even risky intervention it's like it 's like chemotherapy with cancer it's, you wouldn't give you wouldn 't give somebody with a cold chemotherapy, but you, you give it to somebody who 's going to die from something else um, from from cancer. This is the same thing. If you have extreme mental illness, I absolutely see why this would be worth all the risks, but uh, my, my concern is for people who are maybe in the more functional side of things, you know, where intervention may be more dangerous than um, than, than allowing people to sort of do it in the, in an older, more traditional talk therapy setting. But I mean, I, 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 I haven't heard from you that there is a lot of serious side effects. You said about 5% right. are experiencing you're, it, but I, 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 am just curious about that.
2: Yeah. So you make a good point. Like, okay, so you're saying that for some populations, definitely get them the medication. It's risky not to, but are there some populations of people where the cure is worse than the cold, right? Yeah. Like the, yeah. Or risk is worse than and that's a serious concern right like iatrogenics or uh doctor error is like the third leading cause of death in the u.s mm-hmm. wild right so um i don't know if you know, if any of your listeners following like nassim nicholas talib he would tell you never go to the doctor unless you <laughs> you're like your leg is falling off and you absolutely need to go because it's an emergency and you know you might perish otherwise because doctors might do more harm than good um um but when you look at the clinical safety data around ketamine, it's just extremely, extremely safe. Um, the biggest risks are accident, right? So if you were to do ketamine therapy while operating heavy machinery, like driving a car, or you know, like trying to swim in a swimming pool, like it, it is an anesthetic and can you know reduce people's motor functions. Um, um, other risks are people with uh, heart issues. It can increase the rate of your heart, give you tachycardia. And so if somebody has really bad cardiovascular issues, they should avoid ketamine therapy. Um, But when it's overseen by a medical provider who helps make sure that people don't have some of these exclusionary criteria, uh, it's just an incredibly safe medication um, so there are some instances where people shouldn't do it, like I mentioned. Like also, if you're like pregnant or breastfeeding, or if you have like a really strong history of psychosis, or you're currently undergoing a psych, like a psychotic episode, you may want to avoid something that could dissociate or derealize you. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, it's just extremely safe. And there's like a little bit of a narrative violation, right, where people hear ketamine or they hear psychedelic medicine, yep. and you assume like. It's scary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's new. It's different. It's scary. It's emerging. Uh, it sounds uh, wild. But when you actually peel back the layers and look at the clinical research data and outcomes data and safety data, you just get a very, very different picture, which yeah. is why our belief, my belief is that uh, just in the next like three to five years, we're going to see ketamine overtake SSRIs as the predominant treatment modality uh, for mental health and wellbeing issues, uh, and then eventually uh, MDMA in like late 2023 or late 2024, and psilocybin a, a year or two after that, uh, just because it's a 10x better product from a efficacy, safety, side effects, uh, and like magnitude of result standpoint.
1: You you talk so much like a uh, uh, tech developer, it's unbelievable. <laughs> it's uh, but you're talking about something that is that is an, an incredibly powerful and I and. You know I, I feel like you're really well positioned at the forefront of a movement that is that is coming uh why why the a why, why the remote at home version of this instead of um going to a provider that you try uh, you know uh, your your family physician or um or a, a psychotherapist that you currently have mm-hmm.
2: there are a few reasons uh so one is access uh it was when i started the company a few years ago it was incredibly hard to access this medication who is like 600 to $1,200 a session, despite the unit cost of ketamine being extremely cheap. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting somebody to drive you one hour, two hours to a center, sit with you for two hours, drive you back. Like if you're a single mother of three, like that's not feasible. Right. And so I would just run this through the filter of um, I grew up in a working class family who, you know, like 70% of Americans living paycheck to paycheck who can't come up with $500 in, uh, you know, in a state of emergency to save their lives. Uh, single father, you know, two kids, mentally ill mother, and if this was available, like we would, the idea of affording a $1,000 session and having my father like drive her every single time and sit with her, finding someone who could, is laughable. So one is just the access component, um, and through telemedicine, we've been able to rapidly get this both. You know, 80% cheaper than the average provider, but also to an extremely large number of people who just didn't have access to a, to the therapy previously. Um, and the second, which I think surprises some people is, um, is just the quality of the experience. Mm. So a lot of people may assume that it might be better or a better experience to go into a clinic. Uh, but when you talk to people who have gone into clinics and have done it at home, you see that people like to do it at home. Um, they don't have to go somewhere that's unfamiliar to then get into an unfamiliar altered state of consciousness, uh, traveling there is, uh, or traveling back after an experience mm-hmm. is usually a way to integrate it. You want people into a, a really calm, comfortable environment. So essentially you want them in a calm, comfortable mindset and a calm, comfortable physical setting when you're doing psychedelic therapy and being in a clinic is, and driving back from a clinic usually is not that. Um, and, um, and furthermore, it just is a giant impediment to care for a lot of people. Uh, they end up not coming back to spaces because the friction of it, um, which then prevents them from getting and seeking the treatment they need.
1: Sorry, I, yeah, I mean, I, 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 think that's that all makes a lot of sense. I just there's something about <laughs> there's something about having a prescription drug experience in, at a in a at a remote location. But I mean, I do. I do get my, I get most of my pharmacy stuff online now anyway. I'm, you know, I, I do telemedicine and, and this, I just, I guess this is no different. I, I, it's just, it feels like a, a strange, um, not a strange, it's, it's a new frontier and when yeah. and new things are often scary.
2: What you're talking about, what you're, what you're alluding to is status quo bias, right? When right. something we all have this, Cognitive bias where we assume that how the universe is constructed today is exactly the right way and Mm -hmm. anything new is Crazy, (laughs) And then that new thing becomes reality. It just goes into that bucket of the status quo So for instance, you're talking about you know, how wild it sounds to take a you know one hour uh, You know sub anesthetic dose of an anesthetic at home, but nobody bats an eye that 9 million Americans take Ambien Everybody.
1: Right. 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 Yeah. No, it's a great point. I mean, and it, yeah.
2: And one of the things that uh, we do as part of our protocol at MindBloom that our our clinical advisors and science director, medical director have built out is uh, we require a peer treatment monitor. So essentially that you have somebody with you that MindBloom trains up on just how to sort of observe you. And we have 24 hour call lines for emergencies. Mm-hmm. Um, and today they've essentially had no you know real emergencies, um you've had a couple I've had like thousands of patients we are doing like two hundred and fifty thousand psychedelic therapy sessions a year right now. Uh, I've only had a handful of people who have like called in nervous and you know needed support.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How does that affect having an observer? How does that affect the uh, the honesty of the therapy? I feel like that that person <laughs> that person may be a part of what you you part of your ruminative problems. Do you know what I mean? If it's a parent that you're struggling with or even a spouse that, you know, uh, it's a part of your your therapy element, that can be hard to have like an observer in the room.
2: Yeah, it's, I think you're, you're touching on something interesting, which is um, one of the things that's been fascinating to watch is people have become so entrained in this medical model where they're told that like their bodies are machines and we can give you drugs and like mm-hmm. perfectly and tweak what's going to happen to you. Which one that's just like totally false
1: Right, <laughs> like, right. right. Okay. We're not chemistry sets.
2: To- exactly. Um, so one is like just totally false But people seem to believe that um, which is understandable. I used to believe that um, and two is psychedelic medicine like it's just m- Messier than that like predicting the right dose for somebody is near impossible um, like we've you know mountains of clinical data now and Like how people respond to certain doses is like throwing a dart and um, and we get patterns with people and then we can help like titrate it to them because it's, um, it's like how their brain chemistry is working with the medication. Uh, but we see, uh, you know, small, like 90 pound, uh, women who have never done psychedelics in their life who are absolute tanks and like 270 pounds, sixty-six six men who are, you know, have deep experience with substances and psychedelics who are complete lightweights. Mm. Um, And similarly, with people's experiences, it's hard to predict, um, you know, if any given experience will be like deeply therapeutic and a total breakthrough for them or, you know, a little like, um, you know, a little weak or just uh, uninspired, um, which is why it's a six session program where we're working with people through multiple sessions to try to build like a compounded uh, benefit for people, you know, through the journey. But, yeah, it's just hard to predict. And those are things those are reasons that we have people work with both psychiatric clinicians and coaches, because there are so many different variables that can come up. Like, you know, it, do you have trauma with the person that's right. actually sitting with you who probably shouldn't be sitting with you? You know, making sure that we train the person sitting with you on what to do, what not to do, uh, when to intervene, when definitely not to intervene and, and things like that.
1: Yeah, it's just it's so many variables. I, I get again, it's there's a little, like you said, status quo bias in me, but also, um, I, I think there's there's some fear about it from me. Um, you say six sessions, uh, is it is it a, is it a course, or is this something that you that you envision people should be doing regularly?
2: I, it's like the exact same answer, right? It like just depends on mm. the person. It's like um, you know, this obviously isn't a clinical product. But like, how many times should you? Do Tony Robbins. I don't know one daily like it depends on you right. and like what does it does this resonate with you and work for you? Are you getting a lot out of it? Like did you have a massive breakthrough and now you should work on something else? Um, so I think for people like their journeys are uh, very bespoke and Just depends. So we start everyone with like an intro to psychedelic therapy program It's called the basics of psychedelic therapy with dr. Palio's who's our science director who's probably like one of the top three leaders in psychedelic medicine in new york he's uh the principal investigator on the mdma clinical trials and like an og in the space like a real pioneer um so that involves like video and content and really teaches people how to go through a psychedelic therapy experience and program everything from setting intentions ahead of time to journaling after every experience to what integration is and how to get the most out of it to, to how to you know I will call it surface cycle experience, but how to like go through a therapeutic experience because there's a skill to that and like a learning curve to the actual hour long, uh, you know, experience through the medicine. And then after people complete that program, they have other ones that they can select if they're a medical fit, like depression specific programs, anxiety, uh, self-love, and we're building a, a massive library of both content programs and also, you know, uh, programs for specific medical indications around psychedelic therapy.
1: Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I think you're, you're, you seem like you're doing, you're creating the context for this to be something that, that really explodes very soon. And I think, I know it's piqued my interest outside of our conversation. So it's, it's, thank you so much for adding so much clarity to what you guys are working on. Uh, mindbloom.com is where you want to go. If you guys are interested in checking this out, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, aside, aside from that, uh, where, where, can people follow up with you, Dylan?
2: Um, one of the benefits of being a, a mental health care entrepreneur is I can get out of not using social media and say it's because of, <laughs> it's for my mental health. It's great. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, mindbloom.com would be the best place to find us. Um, you know, we have over a couple hundred people working with us in the mindbloomiverse right now. We're going to be growing to a thousand we're backed by literally the top investors in the world and extremely well capitalized um, and are the largest provider of clinical psychedelic therapy in the world with ambitions to be the largest mental health and well-being brand in the world. Uh, so if you're really passionate about psychedelic medicine um, and we're hiring across the board, and would love to hear from you.
1: Again, mindbloom.com, link in the show notes. Dylan, one last thing, and I ask it to everybody. What is one thing we can all start doing today that will make our lives a whole lot better?
2: Hmm. Um, I think people often ask me, like, what's my favorite mental health and well-being practice? Uh, and it's the answer is a little meta. It's making my mental health and well-being a number one non-negotiable top priority. Yeah. From there, there are a lot of different things you can try. Um, so short of making your mental health and well-being a you know top non-negotiable priority, just like your physical mental or physical well-being, uh, I'd say one of the things that has worked best for me um, is reading and studying. Uh, mental health and well-being uh, so for me my journey I sort of stumbled into positive psychology when I was in college and it opened my eyes to seeing that I was not happy and mm-hmm. that the decisions I was making like graduate from good school make a bunch of money were actually not going to make me happy and then my relationship with others in the world was deeply flawed and that, that actually led me to MDMA therapy which is what sort of changed my life and got me deeply interested in psychedelics um so the one thing you could do is pick up a book on positive psychology or stoicism, stoicism, such as um, uh, Letters uh, to a Stoic from Seneca. It's a great audiobook that Tim Ferriss produced, um, or a sort of Eastern philosophy book like Awareness by Anthony DeMello or The Surrender Experiment by Michael Singer, uh, and you know begin reading up on mental health and well-being, and you know sort of where, where your your focus goes, your energy will flow, and I found that's been really meaningful for me.
1: I, you know, I think, I think, right, the idea of prioritizing our mental health is something that a lot of people have realized is important, uh, in, in, in the last, particularly in the last two years. I mean, you, you said, you said it yourself that the, that COVID, in addition to being a regular public health crisis, is also a mental health crisis with, with what we're doing to, to try to alleviate it. And it's, um, I I, I see it in all kinds of ways. I think we're only seeing the tip of the iceberg right now, but I also see a lot of people who are, who are choosing to use this time to make life changes with an eye on their mental health. And that's something that we haven't seen in a long time. And I I think that's, I think that will be good for society in the long run. Um, but anyway, Dylan Bynum, thank you so much for your time today. I, I really appreciate your insights and, uh, all the work that you guys are doing over at Mindbloom. So thank you for your time.
2: Thanks for having me on, Gib. This was a blast.
0: That's it for our show today. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you like the show, please rate, comment, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. It helps us out a lot. Don't be afraid to check us out at facebook.com slash John Tesh. John is on Instagram at John Tesh underscore IFYL. I am Gib Gerard. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Gib Gerard or facebook.com slash Gib Gerard. I try to respond to every DM or mention of the show because ultimately I do this show for you guys. So thank you so much for listening.